Hi, I'm Sharon Hunter, and this is Moonstone Connections, a podcast that puts the spotlight on important leaders in the world of arts and entertainment. Through in-depth conversations with people in the arts, we will get a chance to learn about them and how they are making a difference. Welcome back. Some people love Shakespeare, while other people, hmm, not so much. I have to say that I've always loved reading it, and I've always loved watching it when it's performed. Sometimes, though, I haven't always understood what I was reading or watching, and I don't know. I think some people out there feel the same way. But I have to admit that a couple of years ago, I signed up for a Shakespeare salon. It was a class, a master class. And the instructor was our next guest, Tom Ridgely. And he is the producing artistic director of the St. Louis Shakespeare Festival. He's an expert at it. And he made it easy. He made it interesting. And I, for the first time, not only was loving what I was reading, and what I was watching, but I was understanding it. So now let's sit back and enjoy this wonderful interview with Tom Ridgely. And I think you'll love Shakespeare too. Well, my guest this evening is Tom Ridgely. Tom Ridgely has led the St. Louis Shakespeare Festival since 2018. He is a Drama Desk nominated director. He has developed and presented works at the Public Theater, the Old Globe, Oregon Shakespeare Festival, Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival, Shakespeare Society, and more. He's worked with Tony nominees, Sting, Sherry Renee Scott, Laura Osnes, Will Swenson, Kelly O'Hara, and others. His productions have won DFW Theater Critics Forum and EC New York Awards. He's been nominated for the CT Critics Circle and Broadway World Connecticut Awards. He also co-founded Waterwell Theater Company in New York, and served as its artistic director from 2002 to 2018. And there he created and produced more than a dozen world premieres and adaptations of classics that were nominated for three IT awards, a Drama Desk Award, a New York Magazine Culture Award, and Village Voice Best of New York City. Uh, Tom has also uh, most recently resurrected a lost World War II era Frank Lesser musical called Blueprint Specials that I want to ask him about um, because obviously, as you can hear, he is very much involved in Shakespeare. That is how Tom and I met um, Tom, when Tom came to St. Louis and I had come back to St. Louis from New York in 2016. Tom did something that was really wonderful and very needed in St. Louis. He started a Shakespeare salon that was free to actors, and it was amazing. He um, he really made it inclusive and exciting, but also workable Shakespeare, especially if you're not really feeling all that comfortable, and some of the people in there were not, including myself, and I'm happy to admit that, uh, and used a wonderful book called Thinking Shakespeare by Barry Edelstein that Tom knows personally. So Tom, thank you so much for being on Moonstone Connections. The first thing, and I and I always like to do is kind of go back and talk to you a little bit about, you know, your childhood and where you got your start and was your family also involved in theater? My family was not involved in the theater. I, the first theatrical things that I did were through school. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a teacher, Mrs. Mateson, who 
wanted to incorporate musicals into her curriculum. And so she, I had her in third grade and in sixth grade and, and both years she somehow convinced the powers that be that, that doing a musical would be the best way for us to learn something or other. So uh, in third grade, we did Your Good Man, Charlie Brown. And I was originally cast as Pigpen. <laughs> but, and my friend John Comerford was cast as Snoopy. But something happened. I think John just couldn't, he couldn't rise. He was, it was just, he wasn't hacking it. And uh, so uh, there was like, you know, it was like a Robert Altman film. We, you know, <laughs> halfway through the rehearsal process, he was replaced and I got promoted to Snoopy. Well, that's, that's a big thing. Which is a huge, huge deal, as you can imagine. Absolutely. And, uh, and the fun thing, what I remember about that is, in addition, other than it being the first play or musical that I was a part of, was that, and I don't know if this is how it's meant to be or if this is just how Mrs. Mason, this was her directorial vision, but I spent the entire show on stage. Even if I wasn't in the scene, I was like asleep on this table covered in a red tablecloth that was meant to symbolize Snoopy's doghouse. Of course. Anyways, I like being on stage, so I, I found out that. <laughs> is that really the, the the moment when you were like, this is for me? Or were you ever thinking, I'm going to do something completely different than theater. I'm going to be a scientist. Let's see. I was really into science. <laughs> uh, I was really into dolphins and whales and and uh i you know for a long time i thought i wanted to be like jacques Cousteau or somebody like a marine biologist yep i really wanted to be a marine biologist and now the moment for me was because that was just a thing that we you know we didn't have a choice it's not like we chose to audition for that yeah everybody sure. in the third like grade class was in you're a good man charlie brown the moment for me was I, you know, I went, so I went to that, I went to a grade school, you know, through middle school it was all one, one, you know, one stretch. And then I went to a high school and it was a big change. It was a big public high school. I didn't really know anybody. And so my freshman year, I was sort of adrift. And, and in the spring of my freshman year, the school put on the spring musical, which was Guys and Dolls. And it was just great. Uh, the actors were so good. The, sh the songs and the, you know, this were so catchy and, and the scenes were so funny. And, and I remember the moment when Nicely Nicely Johnson hopped up on a table at the end of Sit Down, You're Rocking the Boat. And that just sent me to heaven. And, and, and that was the moment. And, I, and, and it reminded me that I had had a good time doing those shows in, in third and sixth grade. And so I made my friends promise, the few friends I'd managed to make at that point in the year, I made them promise to force me to audition for the musical next year. And, and they did, and I did, and, uh, and it was on the town and I got to be one of the sailors. And, 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 and then, you know, that kind of became like the thing that I did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that what you went to college for, uh, theater as well? You know, even then I still wanted to be a marine biologist. So <laughs> I started out, I was actually, I couldn't make up my mind. I was, a, I was, 
a triple major for my first two years in college in biology and theater and Spanish. Oh, okay. But then, then I hit organic chemistry and I realized the hard sciences were not for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. I was, I was, I loved earth science and rocks and archaeology, and then chemistry showed up, and I was like, you, you, you're good with that. Thank Take you. care. Had exactly. Enough. I've had enough. Yes. Um, but here's a here's an interesting question because I mean, it sounds like you started out in really any kind of musical or or contemporary or classical, you know, theater. But then what made you take that turn into Shakespeare? Because that's an interesting turn to go that route. Yeah, I, I, for a long time, didn't really connect with Shakespeare, even reading it and, you know, in school, didn't really light my hair on fire. Same, same for me. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. And, and I did a Midsummer Night's Dream in college and it was fine, but it wasn't, you know, the greatest experience that I had doing a show. And and then we got to New York and we're doing our own stuff. And and Shakespeare just seemed kind of untouchable. We did adaptations of Greek plays, of Aeschylus and of Golden Age Spanish plays of Lope de Vega. I love the Greeks. Yeah. Yep. The Greeks are great. The Spaniards are great. And yes. then we did the Americans, Eugene O'Neill, those kinds of things. But for some reason, Shakespeare felt, well, you know, we can't really adapt that. You can't improve upon it. It's the language is what's great about it. And the language is so, you know, how do you even begin to approach that? So we, we, we sort of shied away from it. So I kind of came in the side door. What happened was I got a call from Maria Guyanas, who now runs a Woolly Mammoth Theater in DC. She was, uh, producer at the public theater at the time. And she knew I directed and asked if I wanted to assistant direct on a Shakespeare play that they were doing. And mm-hmm. you, more than anything, I, I just wanted a chance to, to work at the public again. I'd done a few things and obviously just really admired what that theater is and was and what it, what it stood for. And, and, and so was, excited to have a chance to work there again. And, and, and as luck would have it, the guy who was directing it ended up being Barry, Barry Elstein, who you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. And he really opened up the world for me. Uh, you know, he made it accessible. He made it exciting. He made it fun. Uh, you know, he made me realize how it could be contemporary, how it could be exciting, how you could really, you know, how it wasn't set in stone. You know, he, it was a play, it was Timon of Athens and he, you know, heavily adapted it because Timon's a notoriously tough play to pull off in a production. Sure. It doesn't right. get produced very often for that reason, but he, he had cut it up and rearranged it and, 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 and flown in bits of Coriolanus, you know, to sort of beef up wow. characters um, and, and, and balance it out a little more. Um, but and that was the moment. I mean, I, I, for me, all of a sudden, it just, I, 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 it really turned me on. And at that point, I tried to do anything I could and get my hands on anything I could. And, 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 and it became something I knew I wanted to do. It was just, it's sort of both the, I think, sort of the artistic challenges that it presents and also some of the more intellectual um, challenges and, and technical challenges um, all really uh, just satisfied a lot of the things that that excite me about about doing a play. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things that I see in your work and just looking at at 
at the things that you've done, you have a way of, of blending Shakespeare with a contemporary vibe. And you have a wonderful way of seamlessly, you know, bridging that so that it makes it, I don't know, vibrant and innovative and new. Is that, is that where you see sort of the way you take your work, especially with Shakespeare? Yeah. I mean, you want it, it's, it's sort of two things. You've got a one, I think, kind of get out of the way and just sort of help people understand it and deliver it really clearly because there's so many layers of, 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 of just difficulty around it because it, the language is so old and, he, and Shakespeare was so smart and he uses all these big weird words, but it, you know, but, and, and to read it can be challenging for a lot of people and to hear it can be challenging for a lot of people, but for an actor to speak it really clearly, it becomes not only very easy to understand, but really, uh, you know, powerful to, to listen to um, and, you know, to experience those stories. So there's that. And then, and then, yeah, you want to obviously want to find some, some way for people to connect what's going on in the story to what's going on in their lives or in the world around them. So it doesn't mean setting it in the present day necessarily, but you are sort of looking for what, what are the resonances? What, what does this play, you know, have to say to us now, 400 years later? Mm -hmm. But you, you don't just direct the Shakespeare now. I mean, if you, are you doing other works besides Shakespeare? Or is it pretty much that's where you're, where you live at this point? Well, since I got to St. Louis, uh, the only directing, you know, I've done has been Shakespeare, mm -hmm. but you know, Waterwell did water. Yeah. Talk about Waterwell. Cause that's, that's really exciting. I mean, did you, as soon as you went to New York after college, is that what you developed is Waterwell? Yeah. I, you know, I mean, yeah. a friend of mine, Arian Moyed, an actor, mm -hmm. um, and many other things, but he's most known as an actor now. Yeah, uh, Tony nominee. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, he was the Tony nominee for Bengal Tiger. He was mm -hmm. in The Humans, which was a great play a few years back. He's on Succession now. <laughs> yeah, I know. So uh, it, we we were roommates in college, and 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 we're great friends, and still are great friends. But we had just gotten in sort of the rhythm of doing shows. We wanted to do our own stuff. You know, we were young and and thought we had a you know, could figure out a better way to do it. Um, so we started trying. And so by the time we got to New York, we were just sort of in the rhythm of doing a new show every few months. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of kept it going. But, you know, when we got to New York, we, in Bloomington, Indiana, where we went to college, we, you know, it was just a matter of saying, hey, everybody, you know, Tom and Arian are doing a show next weekend. Go check it out. <laughs> exactly. Bring but, your friends. We needed something a little more respectable sounding uh, to be the, uh, you know, the presenting body for whatever we were doing. So long story short, we, we kind of, again, kind of backed into starting a company that way. And that's what Waterwell became. And, and, and as I said, it was started out as adaptations mostly because we were actors. We weren't really writers or anything else at that point. So we were just sort of taking plays that, that we liked or that had interesting elements to them and then kind of twist them to do into something new. So those were obviously very different than Shakespeare. Um, mm -hmm. But a lot of them, interestingly enough, and were really musicals. There was always a lot of music uh, in all of the Waterwell shows. And, and, and some of them ended up being, you know, what you'd have to properly call a musical. But we, we, we always called them plays with music. A musical sounded a little too commercial. We were, we were- You ended up taking some of the shows to like the Old Globe and a lot of different other theaters, correct? We 
did we went through some development processes we did a workshop at the old globe and we did a workshop at oregon shakespeare festival and we did some readings and things like that so nothing ever really got produced on any of their main stages but mm -hmm. um you know they were interested enough to to bring us out and to, and to try some things out we did our hamlet actually out at, uh, we did a workshop out there at the old globe you know barry eventually got a job running that theater so he he moved from running the shakespeare initiative at the public to being the artistic director of the Old Globe. And so we had started talking to him about a Hamlet, Arian and I, before he mm -hmm. left. And, and so when he got out there, you know, he was interested in, in seeing where it would go. That's exciting. So what what was the impetus to come to St. Louis? Was it to, to do new and exciting things with the St. Louis uh, Shakespeare Festival? Is that what you what you felt was exciting for you? I mean, in your journey as a director and a and and someone who develops new works and artistic director yeah you know i think i soon after that time with barry working on time and mm -hmm. i had an inkling that running a shakespeare theater might be just about the coolest thing that well, I love the public and the public, uh, you know, the public is actually the New York Shakespeare Festival. That's the organization. The public theater is that building that's down in the East Village. Right. But the organization right. is the New York Shakespeare Festival. And I really admired that organization and the Oregon Shakespeare Festival and the Old Globe, which I think originally was the San Diego Shakespeare Festival. But anyways, these these theaters that manage to do both Shakespeare and new work and plays and musicals and big things and small things and new things and old things. That to me just felt like the most rewarding and impactful life that someone like me could have in the theater. So I had that in my mind and, you know, and after, and after running Waterwell for, you know, 15 years or so um, in New York, I'd also, started to really crave the opportunity to be a part of an organization that was really a vital part of the community that it served and 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 where it lived because you know waterwell's great and i love it and they're doing incredible things and i and i'm incredibly proud of everything we did but there's as you can, as you know, there's hundreds of other theater companies in New York. Mm -hmm. And, and so they all have their own little audiences and niches and corners of, of the city, you know, maybe the public is the closest you could say to actually sort of being like New York's theater. Right, right, I agree. And the the festival in St. Louis is really people, it's, it's, it's a really valued and important part of you know, not just the arts and cultural landscape, but of, of, you know, just the civic life of St. Louis, Shakespeare in the Park, Shakespeare in the Streets, the education programs, you know, they really, you know, they have reach and they have impact. And so I, I, I was really eager for something like that. And, and the festival is looking to do new work, which was my, is my other passion. Mm -hmm. And so the combination of Shakespeare and new work and the kind of community engagement that Waterwell had been doing was also there here at the festival. And so, uh, there aren't a lot of theaters that have that mixture of, of, of priorities. 
Because since you've been here, you have done a lot with community outreach. You've done a lot with bridging the, the gap as far as between rural and urban. I think a lot of people would be interested to hear a lot of the things that you have come, you know, to create for us here in St. Louis. That's not just been the Shakespeare Festival or, or that. Yeah, we, well, I think like a lot of people after 2016, after the 2016 mm -hmm. election, it became pretty clear that there was uh, um, uh, that the that the real fault lines in our society mm -hmm. were on those urban rural distinctions. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you look at any electoral map, obviously, you know, there's these dots of blue in the in in the densely populated urban areas, surrounded by these sea the sea of red these more sparsely populated rural areas. Um, and so for someone like me who, who, you know, was struggling to understand how, you know, how, how things could have gone the way they did, that started to emerge as, as something that, that the theater field needed to take more seriously because theaters are very city-centric institutions. That's where we tend to be located. It's the audience we serve. And we don't really tend to worry too much about anyone that doesn't, you know, live within 20, 30, or 45 minutes from where we have to do our shows. So, and then coming out, you know, to St. Louis, there's, you know, you don't have to go far to hit a rural area. And so that seemed to be something that the festival could do, um, you know, not just for itself, I think in terms of, in terms of bridging the urban rural divide in our region, but, but nationally in terms of trying to bring those stories and those points of view more into the conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and again, it was just another great coincidence. There was the festival had already been planning uh, an urban rural Shakespeare in the streets. So, uh, so it was just another reason that, that I knew that, that this was a great fit. And, and yeah, what we came up with was, was really exciting. I think the opportunity for people to travel to both locations, mm -hmm. um, you know, for, for the people in Calhoun County to come to Pagedale and the folks in the 24-1 to go, you know, out near Brussels and the journey to get there. The, you know, we people, you know, Act One happened in Pagedale. We loaded everybody up on buses, drove them to the banks of the Mississippi and ferried them across to Illinois. And Act Two happened on the other side of the river. You know, that's theater at its best does that in a more sort of metaphorical or imaginative way, right? Sure, because it's immersive and you're, and I think you're bridging that cultural differences. I mean, so you're physically doing that even. That, that, that was, that was the hope. And, you know, certainly for the people who participated in it. And I think for a lot of people that attended it, you know, they start, they, they have a different perspective on, the other, whatever it happened to be, they were looking from the urban or the rural side. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about the uh, Confluence New Play Festival, because that is also something that is very innovative, very different. And it's it's producing and developing new works and also promoting a, a regional playwriting culture that we aren't used to having here in St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the TCG puts out a list of the most produced plays in America at the end of every year. And you, if you look at that list, you, the vast majority of them are plays that are written, developed and produced in 
New York or Connecticut or Massachusetts or, you know, Los Angeles or San Francisco or Oregon or one of those places. So there's very little that's coming from the vast interior of this country. And so, again, I think that part of the, 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 the fracturing that we're feeling right now comes from that sense of there's this huge portion of our population whose perspectives and stories and values aren't being reflected in the, in the culture that, that dominates the, you know, not only the media, but the, but the artistic landscape of the country. So, and it's not because they don't have things to say, and it's not because they don't have uh, a, an incredibly unique and valuable perspective. Um, it's just that they, you know, there isn't, as you say, as much of a culture of mm -hmm. playwriting and, and, and playmaking. As mm -hmm. there are, as there is other places. So, I, I and just coming here and, and listening to people talk, I knew that there were uh, that there were stories that they had to tell. And so, yeah, Confluence is just trying to invest as much as we can in giving people opportunities to learn from more experienced writers, um, to go through a writing process that's guided and you know that has deadlines, which are really helpful <laughs> for anyone, but I think especially <laughs> for writers and and some money to support them while they do this, because it's it's a hard life and you you know you you you're not selling plays left and right, no. and even if you are, there you know it tends to to not be for very much. So hopefully, what we can do is create a body of work that the festival can produce, that other theaters can produce, and and that hopefully it gets done outside the region. And it's happening. Uh, one of the plays from our last round is getting produced by Coca. And there's another one that we're uh, trying very hard to produce soon, too, as soon as we can produce plays. Yeah, that was my next question, is that obviously things have been uh, quite different in the past year um, with just uh, what we've been dealing with with the pandemic. And how has that affected your plans for the festival, your plans for uh, just developing new works and, and, and where do we go from here? I mean, with someone who has, you know, a, a pulse on all of that, 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 and how important the Shakespeare Festival is to St. Louis. I mean, obviously it, 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 it just dismantled all the plans we had for last year and this year. That's and, true. Uh, and that did that for everyone. You know, I, it'll be interesting to see. I have a hunch that things are going to return to some kind of normal faster and more completely than, than we might think. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, uh, but I think obviously, you know, the, the organizations that exist were sort of created to do a certain thing in a certain way. And, uh, and, and, Frankly, what theater is best at is getting people together in, in close proximity to experience a story at the same time. And so uh, I know I can't get, wait to get back to that. And, and I'm sure it's true for anyone that loves doing theater in St. Louis or anywhere. So we're optimistic that we'll be able to do a show in the park next spring and summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously that's not in our control, but, uh, you know, hopefully starting, you know, in the second or third quarter of next year, 
things will start to look a little bit more recognizable. I'm also trying to be very positive about that and just, you know, at least believe that um, things will be, I think, coming back, like you said, quickly, hopefully in 21, maybe a good thing, maybe not a good thing. I mean, I guess we have to try, um, but, you know, you wonder how much that's going to, you know, put us in a, you know, one step forward, two steps back kind of thing. I hope it doesn't, um, but it's a trial and error that we're going to have to do, I bet. It is. And, and, and Sharon, I, I, my hope for the future, um, Mm -hmm. in addition to a more just and equitable and inclusive society and, and theater field is that that spirit of trial and error that we've all been living in the last eight months, um, will carry forward, whether or not it's zoom theater or, promenade theater, like the kinds of things we've been doing. Uh, that I don't know. Um, but I do hope that the the spirit of innovation and the courage to try big, bold, new things uh, is what we take away from this. Because we've shown that we can do exciting, surprising, original, impactful things because we've sort of been forced to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hopefully we won't be quite so timid about doing things in different ways once once public safety changes. I, I mean, I have to say, just watching the creativity of a lot of the theater companies, not just locally, but nationally, has been, you know, exciting to see what people have done virtually. And people have, I, I, I thought that what you did over the summer with the summer stroll, um, if you wanted to talk a little bit about that, and I thought that was super creative and innovative, and it had a good turnout, didn't it? It was great. I mean, you know, we had to keep numbers small to keep it safe, but yeah, it's, you know, it filled reservations filled up almost immediately within a day or two. And so we were, it was nice to have our hunch confirmed that people might be hungry for something safe and, and, and artistic and, 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 and cultural to do, you know, that was obviously the old cliches that necessity is the mother of invention. And, you know, we couldn't, like anyone do things the way we normally did. And so luckily for us, we'd already been kind of kicking the tires of an idea about a walking experience. Tori Rezek, who is our development manager, had had seen one or, you know, experienced one in Nashville by this group called One Step at a Time. It's out of Australia. And they've done mm-hmm. things all over the country. And, you know, there's things that, in New York and all uh, Chicago and other places that, you know, are sort of these immersive outdoor walking theatrical experiences. So we've been thinking about doing some of that in Forest Park already. And then when we realized we couldn't do much to do about nothing the way we hoped we could, mm-hmm. it was actually Tori who said, Oh, you know, what about that? What about that walking idea? And we said, well, that's actually great. That's because it's, you know, it was already going to be spread out. It was already going to be for very small groups. And so, uh, you know, the great thing about it was, is that, we, you know, we took, a, it wasn't just us, it took a lot of different organizations, it was Jazz St. Louis and Opera Theater and Big Muddy and the Black Rep and lots of groups said yes when we said, hey, you know, would you, would you be interested in helping us do something like this so that people can get out of their homes and, and, and have a little beauty in their lives this summer? Right. And then, so you've had like 
I guess they were like vignettes around the park that you would see Shakespeare, somewhat Shakespeare pieces. Is that what I remember it? It was it was really cool. We just took each scene of the play. There's 14 scenes and we Mm -hmm. spread it out over about a mile and a quarter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at each spot we put this art installation and these were all there were these 12 foot replicas of, of the gateway arch and at each one of them there was a performance so you know as i said one was opera one was jazz one's clowning one was theater for monsters did a great kind of adaptation of the rude mecha- first rude mechanical scene right. so it was sort of this you know cubist impressionistic version of a midsummer night's dream but you know you got the story and these arches were painted in response to those moments from the play too and sure we worked with this local group called painted black STL and, you know, in a way those, the, the arches ended up being the coolest thing about the whole project, just because you could happen upon them anytime. And lots of people were in the park because the weather was nice and you needed a place to go. That was, you know, that was safe and outdoors and they were so colorful and so beautiful and they just popped against the natural surrounding of the park. And, and I think for a lot of people, it was just, and a, a, a nice surprise uh, and just a sort of little treat to stumble upon that, that something something beautiful was happening and it was otherwise a pretty you know grim stretch of time but it was a love yeah it was a lovely um i don't know respite from the year that we've had to have like a moment where you're you know just enjoying the park and you're enjoying theater again um and the other thing i wanted to ask you and i and i know that this has been a, really a focal point that I've seen really with the Shakespeare Festival, I know this is important to you, is this is the other topic that came up this year, and, and rightly so, about equity, inclusion, uh, diversity, um, the BIPOC. And you have really worked to really incorporate that into St. Louis Shakespeare Festival and all of the different things that you're doing as as outreach and part of that. And it and and I think isn't that kind of where we're headed? I think so. And mm-hmm. I hope so. Um, you too. And I think, you know, a lot of us, and by us, I guess I mean sort of, you know, white people in the cultural realm, you know, I think the, the, you know, those are values that we always espoused, um, but that we really weren't, if we were being honest with ourselves, fully living up to. And, and everything that happened over the summer just sort of revealed to us that I think the, the, the distance between the values that we espoused and, and, the, and the way we sort of live it out. And I think for the festival, it's certainly always been a value, you know, all the work that we've done, you know, around casting and around the, the community engagement of, of the Shakespeare in the Streets projects has, has all been in that spirit and with that in mind. But we've had to take a much closer look at, and more honest look at, at, at our staff and our board and the creative teams that we're hiring and the vendors that we're using and really asking ourselves, are we really being equitable? And the answer is no. And mm-hmm. so we've got to sort of set about trying to write that. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's what we've been doing. And, and so it's, you know, we should be grateful, um, to, you know, to be, to have the reminder and it's certainly, energized us and, 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 and recommitted us to, to, to living out what we, what we profess to believe. I think so. And I, and I, and I hear it and I see it going, uh, 
much more around the country that same that same feeling. I mean, when um, actually when Teresa Iring has come on to talk with the task force, um, she talks about how much their work they're doing and how she's seeing a lot of change in theaters across the country where this has now become a real focal point. And I think also with gender equality as well. And I know that you're that's important to you as well with the festival. Yeah. You know, I was, we were proud that last year in the park, we had, you know, by some distance, the most female active you know, in the company, uh, you know, Shakespeare's a pretty male world. So it's, you know, just by being a Shakespeare theater, gender parody is very hard to pull off. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, we got pretty close with Love's Laborers and closer than we've ever gotten. And so, yeah, you know, the work is never going to end, um, but it shouldn't. And so, yeah, we just have to just keep rededicating ourselves to being a place that that theaters always hope to be, which is a place that are welcoming and and that and that reflects the community that it's a part of. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, we just haven't always done that as well as as we would like to have. Where do you think um, where do you think that? Shakespeare as a whole in theater, where do you think that's headed? I mean, do you think it's headed with a more contemporary vibe or do you find it within the United States? It's just, it's becoming a little bit more inclusive. And is that what's happening? Do you think, or is it just theater in general? I guess I'm just curious what you think of the business of theater and where we're headed with, with all of it, because you've sort of been in, you've done all kinds of different, you know, things. And it's, it's exciting to see what you're bringing to the city. I, I don't know where Shakespeare's headed. I mean, Shakespeare's not going anywhere. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell sure. you, he's been around for 400 years and, 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 you know, and he's, he's too valuable. You know, is, is he, was he a perfect human being? Obviously not. Was, are his plays, you know, not a product of their time and, and mm -hmm. of who he was, you know, obviously they are. Um, but there's so much there that he um, captured in a way that no one else has been able to capture. There's so much about you know what it is to be a human being and 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 the and the complicated webs of relationships that we're all sort of bound up in. So Shakespeare's not going anywhere, and I think you know there the equity and casting has been around for a long time. I think we're all very used to the idea of a, a Shakespearean company looking very diverse and, <laughs> and, and seeing actors of any race or ethnicity playing just about any role. Uh, you know, what, what we don't see are the creative teams responsible for shaping the overall vision, the directors, the scenic designers and costume designers. You know, I think when you combine, uh, you know, a, a mostly or all white creative team with with a, a playwright like Shakespeare, you're going to get an interpretation that, you know, that 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 leaves out a lot of people's experiences or or, or at least you know even possible um, ways of looking at the play. So sure, what what I what I know the Shakespeare Festival will do, and what I hope we see uh, across the board, and what I imagine we will see, especially you know in the near term, is a lot more uh, worlds, Shakespearean worlds that are, you know, more authentically not white. Uh, and I think that's, uh, will be a great, great thing for Shakespeare and for the American theater. What's coming up for the Shakespeare Festival um, 
you know, for 21. I, I, I believe you're holding auditions for King Lear. We are holding auditions for King Lear. So, I mean, that's a big so work. Happened. What's that? That's a, that's a big, exciting work. It is a big, exciting work. Well, <laughs> although this will be our 21st year, this will be our 20th, uh, you know, proper Shakespeare in the park. So exactly. kind of fitting culmination that way. Uh, we had already hired Carl Cofield to direct King Lear for us next year. He's cool. the associate artistic director of the Classical Theater of Harlem. Brilliant guy, a uh, wonderful artist. And so we're really fortunate that we'll, you know, that he'll be directing that play for us. And, and so he's already brought together an incredible creative team. And, and, and so I think, you know, yeah, for, for an actor to be a part of this production would be, would be a huge, huge thrill. So uh, that, as I said, you know, COVID willing will, will happen in, in May and June. Um, and then we postponed our Shakespeare in the Streets, which which we're working on with the Ville neighborhood, which is also an, uh, you know, an historically African-American community in St. Louis. And, right. you know, one of the most culturally important African-American communities in the country. Uh, you, when you think about, you know, all the artists and politicians and activists that, 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 that grew up or, or, or spent time in that neighborhood, it, it's staggering. And, you know, outside of Harlem and maybe the South side of Chicago, there's really nothing else that shaped the landscape of, of American culture in the way that that neighborhood has. So mm -hmm. obviously it's, it's, a, it's, it's got a really complex and, and, and troubling history too, with the extent to which it has been redlined and, and the sort of, you know, the population loss that, that it suffered. So, but there are a lot of people there now doing really great work, uh, making that community vibrant. And so, you know, we're really looking forward to getting a chance to share that story with folks, uh, you know, I, because it's surprising to me how many people who are even from St. Louis don't really know or understand or are fully aware of, of what that community was and is. Right. And I, I think that is so important. And that's the other thing I was thinking about, just what you do and what you bring to um, the work that you're doing is that you're, you know, you're bridging a lot of gaps and, you know, you're, you're, you're more inclusive. And I think you're bringing people together that would maybe not even think about this because that's the thing. There's a lot of people that you hear, you hear the word Shakespeare and everybody, you know, at times thinks, I don't get that. And I don't want to go. How do you feel you're, I mean, what would you tell a listener who's thinking there is no way I would want to go to a Shakespeare, you know, production? I mean, how do you reach them and say, look, it's easy to understand? Oh, you just got to give it a try. If You know, if you haven't seen a Shakespeare production, give it a shot. It's If you if, if reading it in high school is what sort of turned you off a little bit to it, which, <laughs> which I can relate to, you've got to see a production. And if you've seen productions and felt like, well, that didn't quite get with me either, then, you know, it, it, it honestly just wasn't a good production. Like mm -hmm. a good production of Shakespeare is instantly accessible and, and, and fun and, and exciting and That's all true. the things you would want uh, a play or a movie or any or a novel or any kind of story to be. So uh, just give it a chance. Do you think there's a difference between as a director who's directed 
you know, classics and contemporary works and Shakespeare. Is there a difference in your directing style, depending on which shows you're, what you're doing? Do you bring something different to the table when it's Shakespeare? I mean, Shakespeare demands a certain, there are certain technical things with Shakespeare that you have to do in order for it to be understandable. Mm -hmm. And translate, so, right. There's, there's, there's work, you know, and, and because the language is older, you have to do more work to really understand it so that you can communicate it to an audience. A play that's written in contemporary American English, you're not trying to be like, wait, what is going on here? What does this mean? You know, uh, it's, it's, you're able to focus, you know, more exclusively on the characters and the relationships and the situations and all those things. So, but Shakespeare is like, any demanding form, you know, like an opera or a ballet, like there are just certain techniques that you need to be used or you won't be able to do a triple pirouette. Right. Um, and so that's what's thrilling about it when it's done really well is that it takes uh, a lot to be able to do it. You know, you just can't wander in off the street and do a triple pirouette or, or play Falstaff. No, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And I, I know just from experiencing you as a teacher and and it helped me into a window of really honing in on what I was reading, understanding what I was reading and 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 enjoying doing that because I had not always enjoyed doing that because when I was taking college English and Shakespeare was one of the sections of the semester and I was lost and because I thought and, and, and for some reason, the rest of the kids in the class, they all got it. And I just, it was, to me, it was like I was reading Chinese. I was great on the Greeks and everybody else was like, I don't know what's happening. And I was like, well, how can you say that? It's the Iliad, you know, but, <laughs> but for some reason you, you, you know, you threw me Shakespeare and I, but then when I have to tell you, the book really helped that thinking Shakespeare book, I can't recommend highly enough. And, and you as a teacher, and I guess that's the next question. As a teacher, what advice would you give um, future writers, directors who want to be in that Shakespeare world that you're in? Like, how how would you tell them to navigate this career? Because it's not easy. Theater is not an easy career. It's not. It's not. I mean, whether it's Shakespeare or theater in general, there you the only advice I could give, which isn't worth much, is just to do as much as you possibly can. You know, there's really no other way to do it. Um, if you can find yourself a great mentor or if you can learn from someone who's, who's done it more, then great. Try to do that. Seek that out. Um, but if you can't, just find a way to do it yourself and find other people that want to do it with you. And eventually you'll find your 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 voice within it, but uh, there's no shortcuts and there's no tricks. It's just sort of putting in the reps in the time. Sure, sure, sure. Where do you where do you see? Um, I don't know. Where do you see you your next um, your next big thing? What do you want to do next? That's you know for you. Like what? Where do you get your your passion from? Where do you get your inspiration from? Well, I get my inspiration from artists and, 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 and from other organizations and, and, and from 
our team. Uh, you know, I think people's energy and creativity is contagious. And so I, I love being around, you know, creative, energetic people. And, you know, frankly, we've been moving so fast and the last eight months, we haven't given ourselves a lot of time to look too far ahead. So uh, I honestly don't know what's next. I think, you know, I have to see how the next six months plays out. But, uh, you know, as I said, I'm hoping that whatever we do, that we'll be, we'll feel a little freer to experiment um, and try newer, bolder things because you know, really that's the only way you make progress. And I think sometimes it feels like too high risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, if, if, we, if we've learned anything over the last six, eight months, you know, there's also enormous reward in, in venturing outside of your comfort zone. Exactly. I mean, it, do you feel that that is um, the thing you're most proud of is your ability to adapt and to develop and create? And is that what you really think is important in this business for you and for others? Well, I'm incredibly proud of, of our team's uh, finding a way to keep living out our mission no matter what the circumstances were. I think we've done everything we could or everything we could think to do um, to try to help build community, you know, lift spirits and use art and storytelling to, you know, to make St. Louis a better place over the last six to eight months. And, and, and I think particularly the festival, everyone has just shown such determination and, Sort of endurance uh, to to accomplish all that. I, I'm really just in awe of of the team and 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 their dedication. Well, that's great. I mean, and I guess just to close it out, is is there been a moment in your life with whether it's theatrical or personal that's been most transformative for you? You know, I. I our daughter was born a little over a year ago and, and congratulations. And That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing, nothing more, nothing changes your life or nothing's changed my life more than, than that, than that event. That's wonderful. That really is. I mean, I wish you all the best and your wife and your beautiful daughter, Eleanor. And uh, I can't thank you enough for spending time with, uh, with us on the Moonstone Connections podcast and also just sharing some of your brilliance, Tom. I, I think of you very highly and I, I, I trust me, any Shakespeare salon you want to have, I'll be there. <laughs> this has been great fun, Sharon, and hopefully we'll get the salon going back again soon. I hope so. I hope one of these days we can actually work together again and it'll be, uh, it'll be in person. <laughs> so won't that be nice? Yes, it will. It really will. Well, I thank you and uh, have a wonderful holiday and I wish you all the best, my dear. Thank you, Sharon. Okay, Take care. Tom Ridgely, our producing artistic director of the St. Louis Shakespeare Festival. Thank you. Well, that's our show. Thank you for joining me. Be well, be safe, and be good to each other. I'm Sharon Hunter. Until next time on Moonstone Connections.